Inside your program this morning is a sermon outline with our scripture texts. I ask you to take it out, and again, for those who will be listening online, I want to read to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And then I'm going to read the rest of this passage. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So far the reading of God's Word. And the first words of Jesus that I want this congregation to hear in the new year are the same words He said to Philip from our text today. Will you listen to Jesus? He says, follow me. These words He said to Philip, these are the same words that Jesus says to us. And what you have in this text and in many others like this, when Jesus summons people to himself, is you have, well, first you have a picture of conversion. But it's not just conversion. It's not just that initial coming to Jesus. But what you have is that sense for the rest of your life, every morning when you awaken, is the voice of Jesus saying to your heart, today, come and follow me. Follow me, Jesus says, when times are good. But especially, follow me when the sky is dark and the storms and the tumult is around you. Even then, especially then, Jesus says, follow me. It goes deep in us. You see, this summons of Jesus is a summon to a new identity. Your very identity. When you answer the question in your own life, who am I? What are the fundamental markers that make me who I am? What is your answer? Who are you? These markers in our life, you know, we have all kinds of them. It might be a political affiliation. You might say, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm an Independent, I'm a Libertarian, I'm a conservative, I'm a socialist. What what political marker might there be? Or more important, 
Giants or Jets? Yankees or Mets? Knicks or Nets? Which is it? Married or single? What markers are there that make you who you are? But the most fundamental marker in your life comes from this summons of Jesus who says, come and follow me. And I hope that that's true for you. This is very interesting as a marker, as a sense of identity. I I read not long ago about a a pastor in the Midwest, one of those big mega churches, and he stood before the congregation and he said, I do not want anyone here in this congregation anymore to tell anyone I am a Christian. And there was a gasp in the congregation. People looked at each other and someone mutters under their breath, I knew it, he became a Jehovah's Witness. He's one of those liberals who've gone off the deep end. I don't want you to call yourselves Christians anymore. And then the pastor said, let me explain. He said, for one year, I would like you to identify yourself as a Christ follower, he said. Because, you see, he explained, the word Christian as a label has gotten very thin in people's minds, and we need in our witness before people to make it a little sharper and more acute. He said, identify yourself for one year as a Christ follower, and people will say to you, what do you mean by that? That's not bad. I don't have any problem with you calling yourselves Christians. In fact, I think it's a pretty good term myself, and it works here on Long Island. But what you're saying when you are a Christian is you are saying, my life of self-direction is over. My life of self-direction is over. There is another one who is the captain of my soul and the master of my fate, His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and I follow him. That's what you mean when you say, I'm a Christian. He has become my Lord and my Savior. Are you a Christ follower? Are you a Christian? This past year, 2014, had some remarkable stories that had to do with this very marker. The most, I think, profound and even frightening one had to do with a woman named Miriam Abrahim in the country of Sudan. Did anyone see this in the news? This beautiful young woman who was married, uh, she was raised uh, uh, of a Christian Ethiopian mother, but her father was a Muslim. And the authorities in Sudan said the daughter of a Muslim who marries, uh, she married a Catholic gentleman. And the authorities in Sudan said the daughter of a Muslim who marries a non-Muslim and sleeps in his bed is guilty of fornication, and we found, they found her guilty of fornication to be punished by a hundred lashes. And then they said, as she maintains this faith in, Christian, in, in what she calls Christianity, we find her guilty of apostasy. And you will recall, the whole world saw this on CNN. She was declared guilty of apostasy against the prophet Muhammad and sentenced to death by hanging. You remember this? And it was startling. She was given three days to recant her faith, 
to announce herself a Muslim, and all is forgiven. Everything is fine. What would you do? A hundred lashes and death by hanging by the Sudanese government. And she said, I am a Christian, and I will remain a Christian. She heard the voice of Jesus say, follow me, and she did. And I thank God for the Prime Minister of Italy and David Cameron, the Prime Minister of England, and through others under, uh, behind the scenes who brought enormous pressure to bear on the Sudanese government, and she was, because her husband was an American citizen, she was released, and she was not lashed with a hundred lashes and hung by the neck, but make no mistake, this was the threat over her life. She said, I am a Christian, and I remain a Christian, I will remain. What would you say? Philip hears the summons of Jesus, and he follows. Why? We are told in verse 53. Look at the beginning of verse 53. It says, Jesus found Philip. This is very important. Don't miss this. We're told that Jesus found Philip. Jesus initiates the relationship. Jesus calls him to himself. Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, I came to seek and to save, to save the lost. And Philip was one. He came to seek. So Jesus summons. He initiates the relationship with you and with me, just as he did with Philip. And if you're a Christian, I want you to know, Jesus found you. There used to be billboards that say, I found it. You know? No, 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 that's getting it backwards. Jesus found you first. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn that we love to sing in this church. You know the old hymn, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? But in the second verse, there is this phrase, and, and sometimes when we sing this, I, I sense the roof is going to rise in this church because it is the testimony of you and you and you and of, and of me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. What is it? God sent light. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Jesus summons you. And then he says, come, follow me. And what do you do? What must you do? You have no other choice. There are people here, and we're so grateful when God brings people into this church who are seeking, who are questioning. Questions and doubts are welcome at the North Shore Community Church. But I want to tell you something. If you're here and you're listening and you're seeking, Jesus is finding you, okay? Come, follow me. Now, when Philip follows Jesus, just as Andrew did in the very previous passage, something interesting happens. They both suddenly become very eager to share their enthusiasm for Jesus. And so point number two in your sermon outline is this. We should have an immediate impulse to find others 
interested people, skeptical people, and speak to them of Jesus and invite them, as Philip does, to come and see. You see this in the text, starting, I'll look at verse 45. Now, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And there's this pattern here. And down in verse 46, you know, Nathanael, he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And there is the pattern that is repeated in the New Testament. It's not unique to this. There's a simple pattern for us, for our lives. What is it? The pattern is that we come and, and we find, we tell, and we bring. Find, tell, bring. It's the same thing that happened. Again, Simon Peter, or Andrew, is summoned by Jesus. He follows Jesus, and we are told the first thing Andrew did just in, in John 1, 41, he first, or it says, literally it says, the first thing is he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And Philip, the first thing Philip does is he goes to his buddy Nathaniel. Now, it is true and wonderful that when you become a Christian, there is peace and there is joy. And whether you fully understand it, in your own heart of hearts, there is this resolution of your life before God. Your life will make sense. God, your Creator, has redeemed you, and you are in harmony with Him. It is a wonderful thing to become a Christian, okay? To be a Christian. And there is personal fulfillment and happiness that comes. But I want you to notice that neither Andrew nor Philip said, and now I'm so happy, and I'll live happily ever after. Instead, what this text shows us is that immediately they become what around here we call missional disciples. This, this is a good term in your own vocabulary, Christian vocabulary. They become disciples, but they are missional disciples. No longer is it just about them but they actually care about the spiritual status and welfare of their brother, of their buddy, of their friend. And that impulse is it's just all through the New Testament. And Jesus says, even to those fishermen, what did Jesus say? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love the example of Philip, though, in our text, because this one, it allows us to see that it wasn't quite so easy. He tells Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, the one of whom the prophets and Moses wrote about, and Nathaniel is, a, Nathaniel is skeptical. Do you know anybody who's skeptical? Nathaniel's a straight shooter. He, Jesus actually acknowledges he likes this about Nathaniel. Here's an Israelite who's no guile. He tells the truth. He speaks his mind. You know what? We should welcome our skeptical friends who speak their mind and allow them to raise their objections, even, even their prejudices. Now, 
Was he prejudiced against Nazarenes? Was it an ethnic thing? (laughs) Different skin color, different ethnic background, different tribal background. We don't know exactly why he scoffed at something good coming out of Nazareth. You could conjecture on that. But I love that Philip lets Nathaniel speak his mind, but he doesn't give up. Don't give up. You find someone, you speak to them, then listen to them. Listen. It's okay. Don't get upset if your family member scoffs or mocks or argues. Be humble. Hear them. Give them your best answers. Say, well, I I don't know. Let me go find out. Let me... You know, talk to one of my elders or pastors. Maybe, maybe there's some answers. I'll, I'll get back to you on this, but engage them. But the point here is that truth is making an impact in the context of friendship. That's the point here. So you find someone, and in the context of friendship, family bonds, relationship, you share, you tell And maybe they will hear. Now, somebody is sitting here saying, Preacher, Pastor John, this is just too hard. You don't know my family. (laughs) You don't know the guys I work with. It is hard. I understand. And in our culture, there is particular resistance. It's like, sort of like pollution in the water. I read a book by a man named Bruce Lockerbie, and he's writing about the foundations of atheism in our Western culture. And as he writes about the foundations of atheism, he says there's two main streams that give it such power in our culture. And it's the number one, he says, is that there is resistance to the idea that there is a transcendent God who will govern a judgment day. That there is a God who is holy and pure and perfect and clean and good and loving and just. And all men, all women, all children will be called to give an account of their life before the judge. And, and this book, he, he shows how the, the great scholarly minds of the 20th century are utterly resistant to this idea. And the easy way out is just to dismiss God so that you can ignore the reality of the judgment. And that runs deep in the human heart. It runs deep in Western civilization. That's the easy way out, you see. And it removes the threat that is terrifying. You know that about your non-Christian friends. The other major struggle that Lockerbie points out is what he calls, it's way on the other side of the extreme, it's the self as the American Messiah. And he says the great prophet of self as the self-Messiah was our friend here on Long Island, Walt Whitman. High school. Did you have to read any of the poems by Walt Whitman? At least have you been to the Walt Whitman Mall? 
Okay. Walt Whitman wrote that great poem, The Song of Myself. The Song of Myself. It's like a, an American anthem. And what does this mean? He, he says in, the, in this Song of Myself, essentially, he says, I'm not worried about judgment. You know, and he, it, this, the poem goes on beautifully to say, I'm going to meet God, and God is just going to congratulate me for being me. He says, we shall meet on perfect terms. And then he expresses disdain for the Christian notion of repentance. Let others weep for sin in remorse and humiliation. Thou pleasest me and I thee. And that is the self-congratulatory American individual who feels quite good and satisfied about their self. And they are quite positive that God is just so thrilled with them and their performance. And they have no fear of the judgment day at all. And Lockerbie says this is, this is the, the atmosphere in which we live, you see. And so it is hard. I'm just telling you, I know it's hard. But Andrew's not afraid, and Philip isn't afraid, to just find, tell, and bring and you be the same way. Why? Because point number three on the back, on the other side of your sermon outline. Listen, my friends, we're not asking you to save anybody. You can't save anybody. Who saves? Is that, that little church out on Mel, in Melville on Route 110 used to have a sign, big sign out right near the Walt Whitman Mall. What did it say? Jesus saves. <laughs> I don't save anybody, neither do you. But watch what happens to Nathaniel. Philip just brings him to Jesus. Who saves? Jesus saves. We see this in verses 47 through 51. And Jesus begins this interaction with Nathaniel. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Jesus knows he's skeptical, but he's honest. Nathaniel isn't coming to church because his wife made him come to church. Nathaniel isn't coming to church because that girl's cute and he just wants to date her. Nathaniel is honest, but he comes and he interacts with Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? Even before Philip saw you, I saw you. I know you. I know your heart. I know your history. I know your baggage. I know what you're coming from, where you're, what, what has been your own life experience, I know. And this whole thing about the fig tree, some of you might think you figured it out. Please explain it to me. I'm not sure why that was so profound that Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. Spurgeon doesn't know the answer. James Boyce doesn't know the answer. Leon Morris doesn't know the answer. Great Christian scholars all... If they're not sure, I'm not sure either. All I do know is that we see here that Jesus knows the heart of Nathaniel. He knows the history of Nathaniel. He knows the objections of Nathaniel, and Jesus loves Nathaniel and calls him to himself. And Jesus, Jesus does what Acts 15 verse 8 tells us. 
Do you know this verse? It's there in your program under point three, Acts 15, 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. God knows His heart. God gives Him the Holy Spirit, and that elicits from Him what follows this marvelous confession in verse 49. Nathanael answered Him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And this is the statement of surrender. The statement of surrender. No one becomes a Christian without surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And somehow, as he confesses his faith, he has now seen the kingly majesty of Jesus. He has somehow seen the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is not just the Son of God, but as we know, he is God the Son who's come into the world as the Savior of sinners. He sees him in his kingly majesty. He sees him in his deity. He sees him and he, in his beauty, and he bows before him. Let me tell you how, how Jesus reveals himself, just from what he says to Nathanael, just in this, these last few verses. What is made known to Nathanael? I'll tell you this, what your friends and, and colleagues and family members will need to know, that Jesus is real, okay? Jesus Christ lived in space and time. 2,000 years ago, he lived. He, he was born in Bethlehem, yes, but he was raised in a town in a village called Nazareth. This is history, space, and time. Jesus is real and not the figment of people's imaginations, no matter what PBS documentaries may say or the History Channel. He is not made up. He is real. And then he tells, he exposes himself to Nathanael as the Messiah, Where is this, this messianic hope? It is when Philip says, this is the one of whom the prophets spoke. This is the one of whom Moses spoke. You see, he is the fulfillment of the longing of Israel for her Messiah king. He is the desire of nations. He is not only the king of Israel, but as we now know, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is known to Nathanael as the Messiah. And then... He reveals himself as the way of access to God. Where do you find God? How do you get to God? And the answer to this is in that puzzling statement in verse 51. Did you kind of puzzle and scratch your head in verse 51? Where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What in the world is that all about? Is angels of God ascending and descending. Do you know? And our minds run back to the book of Genesis, chapter 28. Do you remember that night when Jacob, Jacob is asleep in a dream and God reveals himself and what does he create? A ladder, Jacob's ladder between heaven and earth and the portal of heaven opens wide as the angels come up and down to Jacob uh, on that ladder in direct, in direct, immediate connection to God. And Jesus now says, that ladder is me. I am the ladder. I am the portal. I am the way to God. 
And you will see the angels ascending and descending as Christ himself will ascend. In John 3, we'll get, we may study this sometime soon. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son be lifted up. What is this? Jesus descended from heaven, his incarnation. And then he ascends in stages. His first ascent is where? On a terrible cross, on Golgotha, he ascends to the cross, and there on that terrible hill he is crucified, and his blood is shed for you and me. Why was his blood shed? Because the ladder gives access, and we are told in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, 19 and 20, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, to enter the holy place by what? By the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed when he was lifted up as the Son of Man to die on the cross. Then it goes on, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. And then Christ is lifted up and ascends into heaven. He ascends into heaven. And we will follow him, raised from the dead. Jesus is the ladder, Philip. Access to God comes through him. He takes our sins upon himself when he is lifted up so that we may be forgiven. You know, a few years ago, I visited a, a gentleman who attended our, our church. He's now moved away, but he attended our church faithfully. And I visited him in the Nassau County Jail, where a nice judge asked him to stay for a couple of months. I visited him, and, and we met, and he came out wearing his orange jumpsuit. And though he was glad to see me, he was ashamed and embarrassed. And I hope that I put him at ease. He was talking about his orange suit that he was wearing and how humiliated he was. And I explained to him that Jesus took on his orange jumpsuit. Jesus already put on your orange jumpsuit. He took your sins upon himself so that you could be forgiven. And tears welled up in his eyes. And we talked together of the imputation of our sins onto Jesus, who welcomes and receives our sins, and the imputation of his righteousness to us, our substitute, our Savior. And that man became a follower of Jesus, And then finally, he reveals himself to Nathanael as the son of man. No, my friends, what is this? Those of you who are in the book of Daniel Bible study just the last month, you know that in Daniel 7.13, when Jesus identifies himself as the son of man, we hear of Daniel's night vision. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. This, Nathaniel, is Jesus. For the next six weeks, 
as we engage this Explore God series. We want to give you opportunities to find, to tell, to bring your friends, family members, colleagues, to learn what you have learned of the one who has said to you, come, follow me. We are a church who want to be missional disciples, right? Look, there's room in the pew next to you, most of you. There's room for one more. Where is their low-hanging fruit? When you go into an apple orchard, you don't, and you're hungry, you don't go up to the top and find the top apple. Where is their low-hanging fruit in your life? Find, tell, bring, and watch Jesus do business with them. Let us pray. Our Father, none of us can reach all of Nassau County. There's 1.3 million people that live in Nassau County, 1.7 million people who live in Suffolk County. But each one can reach one. And we do humbly ask for that privilege to be like Philip, to go to a Nathaniel, interested or skeptical, and to welcome them to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship him together. These are the days to declare the word of the Lord.